From South Bend, Indiana, I'm Jacob Titus, and this is South Bend on Purpose. Welcome to a new episode of South Bend on Purpose. Today, we're lucky to share a conversation with Kathy Burnett, owner of The Brain Layer, a bookstore focused on developing empathy and building community with inclusive books. Her work is unique, and it is vital to the life and growth of our city. A city our size in the American Midwest probably shouldn't have a Kathy Burnett. But nevertheless, she's chosen to do this work here. Enjoy the conversation. Kathy, we have you with us here. Uh, still in September, still amidst the uh, the pandemic. Um, but if we were I just have you here. It means like virtually with, <laughs> with us <laughs> in the space of podcasting. Um, we were just talking a little bit uh, before we hit record, though, about kind of how things are going and all this crazy time and stuff. But um, one of the reasons that we're really excited to have you on is I've. I've had the chance to interact with you a few times and uh, a few times even hear you speak a little bit about your story um, and how you kind of got to where you're going now with, with your business here in South Bend. Um, and it's been every time I hear you speak, it's awesome. Um, and I, I think that it would be an interesting place to start is just telling us a little bit about your story, um, kind of where, where you started, how you ended up um, kind of doing what you're doing and, we'll poke and prod along the way to, to get some of the smaller stories out of there, but we'd love to hear kind of just the arc of, of how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, um, I grew up in Chicago on the South side. You hear a lot about Inglewood. That's where I grew up. We were in the projects over there. And one of the things that helped me was books. Um, I had a couple of teachers who took me under their wing because they thought I was gifted, but I can tell you gifted is relative because it just depends on who else is in the classroom with you. Um, but I was lucky and I got chosen and I got to go to a different school than my brothers and sisters. Um, I have 14 brothers and sisters. Um, I'm number eight and there are six younger than I am. Uh, my oldest brother is like, he's in his late sixties. So it's a really big gap between all of us. Um, we all have the same mm-hmm. mom, but the other ones have the different dad. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And you're smack dab in the middle? I am, I am in the middle. Yes. Okay. Uh, except for, it doesn't really work that way in our family. We had uh, more like cohorts. So you uh-huh. have your, I had five, there were five of us that were together at the same time. And it was, I was okay. the oldest and I had four younger ones and we pretty much did everything um, together. Hmm. So anyway, so I was lucky. I, you know, I say I'm lucky, but I hate to use that term because it implies that I had nothing to do with it. Um, but I'm a very hard worker. I've always loved reading. We've always played bookstore growing up. And so an hmm. opportunity came and I was there and I was able to take advantage of it and um, got sent to a different school, mostly for language arts. But once I got there, I got to stay there. I didn't just go there for back then. I'm a lot older than you guys. So it was called the gifted program and Mm. got sent to different magnet schools just for part of the day. Mm. I'm a couple of times a week. So I went to Ray school, which is um, in Chicago where Obama was at in Hyde Park. Mm -hmm. Ray school had a couple of teachers there who also thought I was gifted and pretty much read 
I want to say the Chronicles of Narnia was the first mm. book that I absolutely enjoyed. And then Judy Bloom. Um, and then um, we had a class where we had to recite poems. And we, my we meaning my best friend, Kim, who lives in Chicago, who's also a teacher, um, we did all the poems out of Willy Wonka and a chocolate. Awesome. I was going to ask what you're into. So it's, I say, I then went to high school in that same neighborhood. I went to Kidwood Academy and then I went to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And actually only one other person in my family went to college. Um, So it was a series Mm. of fortunate events for me. And reading was always the thing that connected everything for me. And so I've always wanted to help kids um, connect with books. So I was an accountant. That was my first job out of um, college, believe it or not. Was Was this all still in Chicago, Kathy? Pardon me? Was this all still in Chicago? I went to school in DeKalb. I went to Northern Illinois University. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got my degree in accounting. Actually got kicked out of school my first semester. (laughs) Um, because I didn't know anything about going to college and no one in my family knew anything about going to college. Uh, Mm. And so did not do well because also the first time I had opportunities to stay out late, Um, Mm. I was a minister and he was very strict. So we didn't go anywhere or do anything. And so that was like amazing. Look at me (laughs) all night. I thought the first time I had a drink or anything like that. And so uh, it was like a whole different life uh, for me. And I lived it up that first semester. I got kicked out. I never tell my mom until after I graduated. None of them ever knew. I found someone to write a recommendation letter for me. I got back in the next semester, so I didn't lose anything. Uh, But I decided then, I'm sorry, I didn't decide anything. Then I wanted to be a teacher. I decided not to go into teaching at that time and to finish up with accounting. And when I graduated, there were the um, big six accounting firms, well, actually big eight. And I worked for Coopers and Libran, downtown Chicago as a tax accountant. Um, I worked state taxes, moved to California, lived out there for a while, worked at Coopers out there, and then decided that this is not really what I want to do. It was just something that I was told I was good at. And having mm-hmm. I had another role model, that's just what I did. And I that started a series of... I can't tell you how many different types of jobs I've had. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying everything. Um, I was a receptionist. I worked for an advertising agency. I worked for a travel magazine. I worked at the Limited. (laughs) It's just kind of cool, though, too. Uh, Uh, So I was out there with my then boyfriend. We graduated from um, NIU together. He had gone to California because he was going to work in movies, and he was doing some... um, I'm not sure what you call it, but he would add the music and the words to the tracks at the end of the show. Um, so we did that for a while. And I want to say that's when Rodney King, that's when that happened. And so we moved back here. He's white. FYI. We moved back to Chicago, but we didn't live in Chicago. We lived in the northern suburbs. We both worked downtown. I went back into accounting and I worked as a it's like a teller, but it's a business bank. And so you're dealing with tens of thousands mm. of dollars. Um, it's a lot mm. of people when they get their settlement checks from lawsuits, so they come and they bring the uh, money there. So I did that and worked in wire transfers and doing that kind of thing. Just kind of not knowing what I should be doing, but knowing I needed to make some money. Um, we did. I did that for a while. Then we got married. I think I was 28 maybe. 
26 or 27. Um, so I have a daughter what was who's 25. She'll be 25. What was your... Pardon what me? was your favorite? What was your favorite odd job that you had in that different time as you tried like the different job. things? I used to work for um, Sears when it was in Sears Tower on the top floor. Mm-hmm. I worked on the forty third floor, and that was my first mm-hmm. taste of actual real accounting. But it was also when they first had laptops, uh, actually not laptops, desktops. So we, when I first went there, they still had the big computers that you had the big, and then you had the floppy disk and all of that. Mm-hmm. So um, that was my favorite job because that's when I realized that I was really good at numbers, even though I did not like it. It was a lot of fun. They treated me like a professional, even though I was in high school. Um, and actually in college, I was a hotel night auditor. So I did that all through college. So I at mm. least had some skill from that. So that was a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed working at The Limited because I like to act. And so I would pretend like I was interested in people and <laughs> the wear. Um, I'm very persuasive when I want to be so I could convince people to buy things. Um, and that always brought me joy. So anything where I get to do that. But all-time favorite would be the librarian. Um, I was a librarian for the past probably 16 years. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the best because I got to see kids lives change with books. Um, kind of like something that helped me. So that was probably the most fulfilling thing that I've done. Was, was the decision to become a librarian? Like, did you, I'm assuming it was like related to that, like story that you had with, with books and reading when you were a kid or I was there other factors? Because I did not think I could be, I could open a bookstore. I d- thought it would be irresponsible of me to um, quit my job and open a bookstore. And it just so happened that the middle school librarian at Discovery Middle School had quit and they needed somebody. So I convinced mm. the principal that I could turn her library around because people had stopped coming to the library, not mm. knowing anything about the library. Let me just tell you. Um, <laughs> and just said, oh, yeah, I could fix this for you. And she hired me. And that that really changed my life. That was just she let me do whatever I wanted to do. She had a lot of trust in me and she was all about taking risks. And so I just changed everything about what a library could and should be. And was that here in this area? Yes, it was in um, Pinharris, Madison. I taught kindergarten mm. first and second grade and then transferred to the middle school as a librarian. Okay. Yeah. And then, so then how did you end up in this area from Chicago? Um, the guy who I moved out to California with, he's born and raised here in South Bend and got a job mm. out here. And so we moved back out here. Hmm. I think our daughter was two at the time. We were still married at the time. We're actually still really good friends. He actually set up all the shelves that are in a store and all of that. We talk all the time. Um, Him, my daughter, and I, we have a group text. We pretty much talk every day. He's remarried (laughs) Mm. younger kids, but we were always friends. We just made a pact when we got divorced that we were going to be different than what other people were doing. Mm. That's That's amazing. That's cool. Um, I have so many... The the library thing is so interesting to me because I... Like I remember going to the library a lot when I was in middle school uh, and same, like I remember reading Chronicles of Narnia. The other one that like really got me was Rats of Nim. Oh yeah, um, a big one. <laughs> but it's, it's such an interesting place. I think that I, unless I'm reminded of it sometimes, I think I forget was such probably a big part of my experience in school. 
Well, um, when I did the library, though, for one thing, we were never quiet. Um, people used to close their classroom doors because we would be talking and laughing. <laughs> and uh, we played kickball in the library because we would act out scenes from different books. Um, I didn't want it to be a place that kids could easily forget. I wanted it to be a place that they chose to go to as opposed to being forced to go to. So it was... It was quite an experience. We were dancing on tables. We made a lot of videos um, for book fairs. I would take whatever popular song and rewrite it about buying books, just trying to make it fun for kids. <laughs> mm. how, how did you get your like arms around like like as you like came into this library job and like it was like, I'm going to turn this thing around. Like, how did you start to get your arms around like what what you were going to do that was going to be different? So the very first semester that I was there, I didn't do anything but sit in teachers' classrooms. Um, and I just listened to them talk about books and what they were doing. I did that for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and just kind of thought about, oh, and I did a survey of the kids too about why they don't go to the library and what would they mm. like to see. And then I tried to just kind of pick some things that I thought I could get away with, pick some things that I thought would be approved and kind of went from there. And I decided not to do things like everybody else was but to do things how I felt they should be done. That's how I do the like that's how I do a bookstore too. Right, right. And what like what were the I'm curious what like the kids' reactions were as you started to like allow these things that they were always told they can't. I have a lot of testimonials from kids. Um, I got teacher of the year at Penn and I have a lot of testimonials of how the library affected them. So I could get send you some. Um we had a good time. We really had a good time. Sadly, you would think I was not an adult the way I was <laughs> in the library, um, but I think they enjoyed it. Uh, I think the only person who had a hard time in the library was my own daughter because I was her mom and she did not want me doing the things that I was doing. But <laughs> other than that, it was well received. That's so interesting because I think like you were alluding to that, these were things that other libraries or librarians were not doing. And I think that's probably a feeling that a lot of people can relate to my, my grandpa was a librarian. So oh. I had a little bit of a different experience, but my, but then when I was in school, um, I can specifically remember my librarian here in middle school at, at LaSalle, uh, Academy here in town. And, uh, it was sort of a disciplinarian relationship between us and the librarian. And I feel like that at least in my experience seemed a little more common. Yeah, so what I did was the first thing I did is talk to my assistant about the reason we had the library and that our first customers were the students uh, mm. and that we wanted them to come to the library because that meant we could keep our jobs. So what could we do? And that we needed to read more because you can't tell kids about books if you're not reading them yourself. They will know right away if you've read that book. Um, and you wanted to make sure that the books had something to do with their life too, not just the books that teachers would read to them or have them read for classes, but something else because I wanted reading to be recreational and not just um, educational. Well, it could be both, mm. but, you know, I wanted it to be fun for them. So yeah. that was it. We opened the doors to the library so people could walk through the library. And if kids walk through the library, that means I get to see them. And if I get to see them, I get to talk to them. And if I get to talk to them, I figure out what they like. And so the next time they walk to the library, I would have a book for them. Um, you didn't have to come to the library to check out a book. I would bring the book to you. Uh, so that was the thing. And I knew what kid, I put holds. Kids could put a book on hold. They knew I was going to order new books. I had a policy. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I tell you I worked at St. Joe County Library? No. So, oh, no. 
in library school, you have to do an internship because I specialize in young adult literature. So you have to do an internship in the library. And I interned at St. Joe, loved it so much that I adopted a lot of their policies for the school library um, and worked there after I graduated and worked there still while I was working at Discovery Middle School too. But one of the things they do, they consider themselves a popular library. So if you think the book's going to be really good, you make sure you get a lot of copies of it. So if I thought I could convince kids to read a book, I would get four copies of that book because I knew they'd want to read it with their friends. Uh, and so it kind of went like that. They knew I would have this book for them. I've been known to go to Barnes & Noble and buy a book if we didn't have it so that the kid could have it that day. Um, you can't wait I made it so that they wouldn't have to wait because they're going to forget about it and they're going to move on. Um, it's middle school. They're busy. Mm. It's super busy in seventh grade, which is where we lose most kids with reading. Uh, so I wanted to make it as easy for them as possible to get these books in their hand. And because we'd read the books and I'd read the books, we talked about it. I mean, I had a sixth grade, a seventh grade and an eighth grade book club. So I ran book clubs all the time. Um, we ended up doing a one book, one school, which they still do, although they do three books because they're not as good as I am. Um, but we had that. I instituted that, raised a lot of money so that we could get prizes. And the prizes were just more books. I mean, if you, <laughs> kids take their cue from you, right? If teachers yeah. seem excited about something, the kid's going to be excited about it. And that's yeah. kind of what I do with the library. If I'm excited, they're excited. If Even if I hated a book, I would tell them I hated that book because then they would want to read it because they would want to argue with me mm -hmm. that, of why I hated that book. So mm -hmm. don't tell the kids that, though. Sometimes I, <laughs> I just told them that. Um, just anything. I really try to do whatever it takes, I guess. You know, just like teachers do now. It's whatever it takes to make this work. That's what I did. And like I said, I had a great principal who whenever I had an idea, I would go and talk to her about it. And she's like, okay, let's try it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't. And that's been my attitude since. Can we chat a little bit about, you mentioned library school. Pardon me? You mentioned library school. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I have a master's in library yeah. science. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> what are you? Okay. Um, I went to I Well, I think I think like to to Dustin's point, like I think a lot of people don't realize like I I realized that because um my grandpa had a master's in library science as well and I but I think most people don't realize that uh this is like a serious business. Oh, okay. Well, so it used to be, it actually is not and that's why kids don't go to the library again. Uh when I was a teacher and you wanted to be a librarian, you had to have a master's degree in library science. You also had to have a degree in education. Uh, and so mm. I went to IUPUI. I, there are four people in this town who were in my cohort and we all went together. Mm. We each work at different places now. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't think, I think only one of us is still a librarian. So we would go, you have classes, you have a specialty. My specialty, like I said, was young adult literature, but also information um, literacy. That's big for me and also media literacy. Yeah. So I studied uh, those. You have to learn about how to catalog books, which is super boring, um, but also could be fun if there are new books. You had to learn how to teach kids how to use the computer, how to actually use Google, which they don't teach anymore, is how to find the right information, how to evaluate information, and then how to determine if you should be using that information or not for your paper. We taught kids how to do actual research papers, not just reports. That was always a big thing with me. I mean, I don't want to hear about this tiger because I could read that myself, but what new thing have you found that you could tell me about that your research can support? 
Um, so it took me three years to get through it. Uh, and I already had a degree in education. So it was, mm -hmm. it was tough, but fun. Met a lot of people. Um, still talk to a lot of those people now. This was when Harry Potter 7 came out, I think, mm. with our last class because we mm. all talked about it. Um, so that was fun. But it's it was a lot of work. We had to write a lot of papers, do a lot of research, but it was also helpful. And if you're going to work in a school, you have to take a subset of classes also. Not anymore, though. Now they just can decide they want to work in the library. But before, um, Indiana has some very high standards for, they call them um, media specialists which is a stupid name, but that's what they call them. Because it meant that you were working with more than just books. And when I was mm. first in the library, they also still did um, whole school videos and things like that. So you were in charge of that. And they Discovery had a TV, a morning news. And so I was also in charge of that. You were in charge of like the morning news show? Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. I learned a lot. And... Because I could never do anything halfway, I did a lot of research, took a lot of um, background information and made it more like a journalism class as opposed to just the morning news. Mm. <laughs> With uh, And these were middle schoolers who were, who were doing all yes, this? Yes, and you can only be in seventh or eighth grade and you had to apply. So wow. it, was, it was quite fascinating. And you teach them how to do interviews. We found out a lot about different students in the school because we didn't know what things they were doing outside of school. I mean, there was a girl who used to race cars. I mean, it was just really kind of a cool, awesome experience for me and hopefully for the kids too. <laughs> wow. Wow. So Yeah, and so then the kids would tell these stories about their classmates? Yeah, we, it was filmed live. So it was live every morning. Mm. Uh, 10 minutes. We had 10 minutes to do our whole show, including the stuff we had to do, which are make announcements and talk about birthdays. But then we wanted to do other stuff that was in there. And so they would go, our class lasted an hour and a half for a 10 minute show. So they would do interviews and do research papers. I mean, we did the whole thing to learn what it's like to actually be on the news. I doubt if any of them ever ended up on the news, um, <laughs> but they knew about it. I think we had one kid who moved to Elkhart and he was on WVP for a very short time, but we did, we did work like it was a real, I worked like it, like it was high school. Like you're actually going to learn something. That, that is a, a very intense pace to like every day. No, you have to put out a 10 minute live show. Like middle school or not, that is intense. We had our rundown and they knew what to say. They, they did the cameras. They did the control board. They did the whole thing too. It was awesome. How many, how many students went into making the production? Usually have 10 to 15. You can't have wow. too many so that they could pair up and do work too. Yeah. My favorite thing we did was we went over to, I was at Discovery, so we went over to um, Horizon. That was our feeder, one of the feeder schools. And we interviewed kindergartners. There used to be this weird YouTube <laughs> show where they would talk with kids' voices. Like it would be grownups, karaoke, and kids basically about different problems. <laughs> I'll have to give you a link. Um, but math, the math one was our favorite. So we did that. We went over there. Each two kids in my class had a two kindergartners. They would take them somewhere <laughs> and just talk to them. And then we taped ourselves with those voices. It was hilarious. <laughs> that's still my favorite thing that we did there. Uh, and when was this? I want to say, Kelsey, they are probably juniors or seniors in college right now. And they were oh, seven wow. or eighth grade. Yeah. 
that sounds like so much fun. Uh, interesting. Okay, so so you end up at the library, and uh, so can you t- walk us back a little bit? You said you mentioned really briefly the reason you went to be a librarian is because you you didn't think you were ready yet to start a bookstore. So when my daughter was born, like I said, that's twenty five years ago. Um, when she was born, I think Barnes and Noble had just opened. Maybe it was very new to have these big mega bookstores, and. I went to one and it had a coffee shop and I said, I wanted to do that when I grow up. And I started taking notes then Um, Mm. And about five years into that. I contacted the American um, Booksellers Association about how you would open a bookstore, did some visits to different bookstores, uh, went up to Michigan because they had a lot up there uh, and looked into it and thought about it and then said, no, I'm not going to do that. But had a run-in at North Point with a librarian in my class and thought, I could do a better job than she's doing. Don't tell her I said that. Um, and thankfully, this spot came open with the book, um, with the library discovery. So you can, they usually look at internal transfers before they go outside of the school. Mm-hmm. And I just had to make sure I went back to get my um, master's degree within three years, which I did. What are some of the like favorite bookstores or features of bookstores that you uh, that you found when you were exploring the different ones in Michigan and, and elsewhere? There's a bookstore called Bookbug in Michigan and Kalamazoo. That's probably my favorite store of all times. Not because of anything in the store, though they do have a really cool section in the back that's like a treehouse kind of that kids can get into. But because when you walk in the door, they remember who you are. Um, they mm. remember what kids like to read. They are on top of everything. And they treat kids like they're adults, you know, with respect. And so I love that. I love, I love cool features. And somebody was actually going to do one for me here before COVID hit and we'll see how that goes. Um, But mostly it's the respect they have for children's literature. A lot of people don't understand what you could learn if you read a picture book. There's a lot of good stuff Mm. in picture books that also what you can teach. So I do a lot of, when I choose the books, I look at what who can I talk to this book about? Who could I give it to? Um, so I look for people who were doing that and just who were running it like a business because it's not a hobby if you actually want to stay open. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot to it. When you go to business classes, they always tell you, oh, if you're not making enough money, you should raise your prices. But books come with a price on it. So that's mm-hmm. not something you could do. The margins are tightly controlled and they reward bigger places as opposed to smaller places. So you have to be very creative uh, in getting the books and putting the books out there and deciding what you're going to do. Every So it's just like that. People who took it seriously are the ones who I paid more attention to. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up spending much time at bookstores or like any bookstore in particular? Nope. Um, like I said, I grew up in the projects in Chicago and there are no yeah. bookstores. We didn't even have a library, yeah. but what we had was a bookmobile. And she used to come around mm-hmm. like once a month. And I remember just being, going into this little truck thing and sitting in there and reading books. And it was just so peaceful. Um, so that's- Was really that like part of like a library system or was that on on their own doing that? It was part of the library system. Um, Chicago public libraries. I don't know if they Mm -hmm. have those anymore though, but they used to send them around. Was the idea for that to like extend the library's reach into places where they didn't have like a branch? Yes. Like in the neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. 
they brought the library to us. You had to have a library card and everything. Yeah, I know that we used to like, and I don't know how long ago this was. the The only images I've ever seen were black and white. But the St. Joe County Public Library had a bookmobile as well. Yes, they're my least, favorite library. Yeah. How many? So then you, how long? You said did you you were a librarian for sixteen years at Discovery? Is that what you said? No, I was a librarian for. 12 years at Discovery and four years as Stephen okay. Clark. No. Yeah. Okay. Four years as Stephen Clark. Okay. Okay. And that went up until, uh, was it like a few years ago? Yes. 2018. Okay. 2018. And then what started to prompt the, cause like you were just talking with Dustin about that you had become a librarian because you didn't think you could open a bookstore. At what point, in that time, did some of that thinking start to change? Was that a quick thing or did that kind of happen over time? I'd always still talked about opening a bookstore. You can pretty much ask anybody who's known me for a while. That's always been something mm -hmm. I wanted to do. Um, so I used to go to this thing called Nerd Camp. Uh, we go every year. I think we did seven years, so they didn't have it this year, of course. Uh, but we would go to Michigan. It was a bunch of teachers, librarians, authors, and illustrators, and we get together and we talk about ways to connect kids to books. And um, one year they did a panel, and we were talking about the fact that we need diverse books, that we're not reading anything in school that represents the world, just the same viewpoint over and over. And that's probably why we're having these problems we have racially in our country. And we talked about that. And then I said, you know what? I should open a bookstore that specializes in that. And these people got together and we started a Kickstarter and they helped me raise money to do it. So it was kind of a group effort, um, but it was really the fact that we just seem to, we seem to have lost compassion for each other. We, especially with the people that are in administration now. And that's really when I quit was when that happened. Um, mm. I'd, I'd gone to Dubai. We were at in Dubai doing some, <clears throat> excuse me, library programming. So I used to like, I don't know, it's like different types of little bits and different types of electronics. We call them makerspaces. So mm -hmm. I was a reading program specialist. We have a friend who's a makerspace specialist and then one girl who does both. We went to Dubai to teach librarians there how to do different things. And we were told the day after the election, because it's a different time, um, to stand up. And then they told us that Donald Trump was our president and everybody laughed at us. And mm -hmm. then the Shah and their da his daughter, they came to talk to us. And I mean, people, it was really just, um, I'd always help teachers diversify what they were teaching. I'd always found them books to either supplement what they were doing. I mean, not just like um, people of color either. I'm not just talking about that. I'm also talking about disability, um, LGBTQ, just different types of families, all of that. And she said, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And a friend of mine said, remember when you talked about opening a bookstore? This would be a good time. And I was like, eh, I don't think so. Um, but people changed my mind because we kept talking about it. And then I got the money. But yeah, it was just kind of a whole combination of what I was doing already. I always helped teachers and um, librarians 
get books for their classroom. That's what I've always done. They would say, I have $500. What do you think I should get? Because I read a lot. And so I was always up on what the latest books were. And I always, you know, test my books on actual children. And so they, I knew they were good or not good or what they would say about them. So I'd always done that. And I just thought, well, if I'm going to do that, why don't I get paid for that? Because I spend a lot of time. I'm very I like to be very personal. I like to curate things. So if you needed something, I would ask you some questions and I would try to find the things that fit what you liked and what you didn't like, as opposed to giving you and um, Justin the same book, it would be something different. Uh, so that's kind of what I was doing on my own free time. And yeah. that's kind of what I do now, but on a bigger scale in the hopes that it will change something for our country. Yeah. Yeah. And so what can you tell us? Like, what was the general pitch to people? You said you did a Kickstarter. What was the pitch on like what There's you're going to set out and do? shows that on the one hand, people who see themselves in books all the time understand their place in the world. And if they're mm. seeing other people in a certain light, so let's take a book where, which people love, is To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. If you read *Kill a Mockingbird*, mm -hmm. all the white people have agency, but the black people have no agency. They're treated like children, um, and so that being the number one book in America creates a certain perspective in your head. Um, you may not know this, but it, it happens. It's just mm -hmm. kind of an implicit thing yeah. that we we have going here, and so. <sighs> So that's what I talked about, the research behind not only does it help the kids who finally see themselves a book understand that they do have a place in America, too, um, but it also mm. helps the people who are the majority understand that other people also have something to offer, um, something to bring to the table. So just that kind of stuff. And I've, like I said, I already worked with a lot of schools and they already knew I could do this. I got a lot of testimonials and Access is also big, whether or not you're reading the books, if you're surrounded by books, you actually have a better vocabulary, um, mm. you go further in mm. school. So just kind of showing people that most of the people who donated to the campaign um, were teachers and educators who I've known for ever. Um, and the authors and illustrators who donated their work were people I'd met through Nerd Camp. So I'd known them for seven or eight years. Um, and they're also the ones who are helping me right now. So they are doing events and they're calling me to be the bookseller for those events. Uh, people, they know I'm in it to help kids. They know I'm in it to kind of make the world better in my small corner of it. And so I think that's it. That's just me talking about what we could be doing if we had this thing. How, yeah. how many books do you read, Kathy? Who says every kid or not that many? <laughs> it's very sad <laughs> because you're working all the time. Uh, but normally, I usually read a book a day. Okay, and and there's two other things that you said that I'm really interested in. It's like one is like how do you go about sourcing books? So like where are you where are you finding the books that you read and test out? And then two, I'd love to hear more about the. You said you had kids test them out before you would ever recommend them. I'm curious how that works as well. Kids love telling you things, right? I actually have that now. I have a um, book club with girls from 8 to 13, I think, and they read books for me and they tell me about them. Um, they, I used to have three <laughs> girls who blogged for me when I was at Discovery, so they would read and tell the world about books. So I've always had kids mm. who I know who I could hand a book to. We get these things called advanced reader copies, 
And I would give them those and they would get to keep mm. the books in exchange for a 25 word whatever about the book. Uh, not just telling me if the book's good or bad, but I teach them how to actually evaluate books like librarians do it. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the appeal. So it's a little bit more detailed. I also have a teacher cohort who reads books for me. I have a girl who specializes in um, Latinx books. So she gets the arcs of all of those books and she does reviews in the system that we have so that I could see and she recommends whether or not you know I should buy it. I have a girl who specializes in early childhood. So it's not just me, it's all these other mm-hmm. people. Ultimately, it's me. I mean, I make the buying decision, but I do look at people who I trust to talk to me about that. But I also read every single publisher's newsletter. I look at everybody's catalogs. I have finally talked talk to my reps. I have a couple of reps from publishers and let them know that I'm not going to just buy the big titles. Anybody mm. can find the big titles. Everybody's talking about that. But here's what mm. I'm looking for. And so they've been bringing me the smaller titles that might have gotten overlooked. Um, so just kind of, I live my mission, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out how you cram. It seems like you do so much on any given day. Um, nah, you don't just, need sleep. To make this whole I'm thing kidding. work. I actually go to bed at 10.30 every night. Uh, and I have do not disturb. So it's, you actually need a lot of sleep. But it's, I have a lot of people in my corner. And I think mm-hmm. that's helpful. Mm. People want to see you succeed if they also feel like they have a part in it. Right. And I, I do that. I just, I let people tell me something. It doesn't mean, and they all know, it doesn't mean I'm going to follow your advice. Ultimately, mm-hmm. what it feels like to me. And what am I going to do with it? I don't buy a book just to buy a book. I need to know who I could give this book to, or can I turn this book into a lesson? That's one thing I have with schools too, is I could help them write lessons. Um, I'm doing a thing with Stanley Clark right now. Uh, they do every year a one book, thank you to me, that they do a one theme instead of one book. And we're doing the theme mm. of hope. And I help them go through the book and we create questions and things for the kids to discuss throughout that. So they know I have, I have that in my back pocket, having a degree in education. So that also kind of helps when I'm looking at a book, I'm not looking at it just for something I could sell though. Don't get me wrong. I do want to sell it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also what else can I do with this book? And that allows me to then kind of pick and choose what I want to have. You think Jacob, I don't know if you noticed or not, but you'll see books with a lot of copies of the same book. Mm. Um, So that's kind of what I do is I try to go deep as opposed to going wide. Right. Yeah. And is that like, I would guess that that um, like you have these groups, these like book clubs or like these groups of people reading books for you and stuff. Does it create, does having like going deep like that and having a lot of copies of less books than like a one copy of a million books create some sort of like shared identity or community around like common reading. Boom. That's what my whole mission statement says. On there. Mm. <laughs> my goal is to create, is to build community <laughs> around the mm. of inclusive books. That's actually what it yeah. says. Um, so yes, that's wow. my whole thing right there. Um, when this terrible thing happened with George Floyd back in May, and yeah. we're starting to make their list. I'd already had a list and I had, I'm very lucky I'm, I'm mm. with Notre Dame and one of the Notre Dame professors put out, um, here's a list from a girl who's always been doing this work because it wasn't new to me to do this work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already had that and that actually 
sadly, that really brought a lot of attention to the store because of the list that I put together and how fast I put it together. And the fact that I actually put my list together for teachers because I wanted it to be books that they could teach in the classes because I am convinced that it's what we read in school that could change what we're doing because that's where mm. a lot of your ideas are formed when you're in school and you pretty much go from there. And teachers teach what they're taught. And if they're not taught about different books, then they don't know about it, which means the kids don't know about it. And you keep having mm. the cycle. Um, I work with two teacher educators, one at St. Mary's and one at Notre Dame. And we talk about every, every semester, what's good, what should kids be talking about? What should kids be reading? Um, so and I have access to all the books. I mean, I still have my account with the place that has the 9 million books. So I can get whatever book you want. I do not get certain books for people. And I will tell them that book goes against everything I believe in. And so, no, I won't get the plague for you. Um, mm. But I can get pretty much any book you want. And I can get it within a couple of days. So I still do that, too. Do you find, especially yeah. especially some of these like partnerships you have with schools and teachers, and um, especially think about like the theme uh, conversation with with Stanley Clark? Do you find that like by going through the teachers and then the students, like do you hear it on the backside too with parents then, as like they experience some of these books through their yes. through their kids? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, when we first when schools were first talking about going back, I had a lot of parents contact me to ask me, do we have books about anxiety? Do I have books about mm. um, wearing a mask? What can I recommend about this? What can I recommend about that? What about some history that we're missing? What can I give my seventh grader? What should they be reading? Um, so yeah, I, I work with parents too. I'm very outspoken. I mean, I would think mm -hmm. that and you know that. Um, yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I think. And every year as a librarian, I always had a meeting with parents and I would talk about the fact that I'm not going to censor books, but that your responsibility to your child is to do that. You decide mm. what your kid should read, not what every kid should read, but what your kid should read or not read. I'm not going to police that for you. And so one of the ways you know what they're reading is you read with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you clearly like through your work at Brainlayer, like you're doing a lot of different things. And it's kind of answered this question a little bit for me that I was, I was thinking about today as I knew we were going to be talking is I remember when I saw, um, I don't know, maybe it was on the news or maybe it was on like a Facebook post that somebody shared about you opening the bookstore. I remember my, like, it just like visceral feeling being like, wow, like you're, somebody's opening an independent bookstore in South Bend with like a with like a kind of like a mission focus like it's it, and it's not just like just opening a bookstore with the most popular books for everyone to read and I remember thinking like how how like how are they gonna pull this off in South Bend and then but but you you're doing it and so I, I'm curious like can you share a little bit about that like how how you do it again as like, like an independent bookstore. I like to talk to people. So again, people knew I was going to open this bookstore because I always talked about it. Right. And so when it first got mm. advertised that I opened it, um, I had a lot of kids who were in college or out of college come back here to the bookstore and talk to me about mm. them and reading. And they started buying books wherever they were. Um, I was already supplying schools with books excuse me, here in town and not in town. And so 
the people who I worked closely with at each of these schools would then talk to other people in the school. Um, I'm down the street from Good Shepherd, St. Joe High School, St. Joe Grade School. Um, and I walked to each of those schools and I talked to the librarian. You always got to talk to the librarian. Um, and I talked to the principal or whoever was in charge about what I could do for them. So I go to staff mm -hmm. meetings and I talk about that. What are you teaching? Um, how are you teaching that? Here's how I can help you do your job um, better. It's like, I'm here to support people is what I always tell people. Um, and Good Shepherd really, really, really loved what I was saying because they looked at their, I do something called diversity audit. You could do that too to see, just even taking a glance at the books you're reading. But I also tell them to take a thing, take a look at the um, TV shows they're watching. Take a look at your circle. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Uh, and because all of that kind of feeds into what you think about other people. Uh, and so- mm. I have a book club. I started a book club with them, a private book club. It was a set number of kids approached by a parent. And I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it like this. Um, they are going to have to take part of it, part in it. They have to lead some of the sessions and they have to fill out this note card for every book because I am always a teacher. Uh, and so them, they then spread the word because the girls love the club so much that they spread it, that their parents spread it. So it's kind of like word of mouth, really. Mm. And not, I didn't open the store. I didn't plan on being here, FYI. It was for a three-month thing. That's all I wanted. Um, my goal was to have a pop-up bookshop where I would go to different parts of South Bend every three months and do something there. And so I was never intended to be in this one spot um, with the store. So I'd never, when I was doing my um, <clears throat> budget and my cash flow and all of that, so I talked to Grant Carlisle. I'm sure you guys know who he is, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Jane Lockhart, and we talked a lot about doing camps and things like that. And so my vision for this was not to be here, actually. <laughs> Uh, my vision for being a librarian was only to be there for a couple of years too, but that didn't work out. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I think it was, it's just people know what I stand for. And so if they come here, that's what they're coming here for. Mm -hmm. um, and me just kind of owning that instead of trying to be something for everyone, we have Barnes and Noble. Um, I used to help Barnes and Nobles with their books too, by the way, FYI. <laughs> uh, and so I can send you to Barnes and Noble, right? I can send you somewhere else if you need that thing or I could order it for you. Uh, it's kind of like that movie, Miracle on 34th Street. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to profit off you. Yes, I want to run this business, but that's not my first thing. My first thing is to help you get what you need to get. And I think that appeals to people. Um, and so they come here and they pay these high prices for books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, which keeps me going. I'm okay with that. Um, but you did. It's it's hard to have a bookstore in this day and age. But I have to do a yeah. bookstore. You can't do it like traditional. I mean, Barnes and Nobles are having problems. And one of the big things they talk about, the new guy who bought it, was running it like an independent bookstore. You have to be nimble. Like right now is the time to have these discussions because everybody's at home. Um, mm -hmm. people are feeling guilty. So they're buying all these anti-racist books, but I can't let it end at them buying the book. Now we need to engage people um, with those books. So having a nimble business structure, I think makes a difference. Not being mm -hmm. stuck on how traditionally something gets done. That's, that's something every time I've heard you talk about brain layer, Kathy, um, especially in kind of the business context. Like I, I feel like every time, I hear you speak. I learned something new about like how 
because I think people think independent bookstore and so they think it's really hard because like you have to get people walking off the street to come in and buy a book. And it's like every time I hear you talk about brain layer, you're talking about trying something new that like the books still kind of are at the center, but you have all these other like different types of customers, different types of services that kind of layer on top of the books, you know, whether it's with the schools or with sourcing books or putting like together your, these clubs, like all these other like ways that people are engaging with books that you've found to like feed into not only like how you have the impact you want to have, but also how your business works. I think that's like the thing that is like, every time I hear you talk, it's just like, it seems like you're running a new experiment about like new ways to think about doing these things, which is yeah, like, absolutely. so all about the business model canvas, testing, testing, testing. Yeah. Um, but it's it like, work, so cool. stick with it. So that's just, I think that's part of me working at discovery too. If it doesn't work, we didn't have to keep doing it. She would allow us to do something different. And so I have that attitude with everything. Oh, that's not working. Then I'm done with that. I mean, I have different shirts because those shirts didn't work. So 20 people have that shirt and nobody else has this other shirt. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's something. Um, Just, I don't know. I feel like if you're, if you try it and it works, yes, that's awesome. If it doesn't, you got to scrap it fast because you don't want to drown just because somebody else thinks you should be doing something. Um, I also surround myself with booksellers who are also innovative. Uh, Most Mm. of the people who are, who I talk to a lot are, um, they have pop-ups, they have bookmobiles, they have trolleys, whatever. They're small and they're nimble. So that's just like with librarians and teachers, I surround myself with people who I want to be like, and I learn from them. And it's kind of a, it's just a cool ecosystem. Like I don't have to sell classics and I don't, Mm -hmm. I only sell the ones I like because I could sell the F out of the ones I like, uh, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to talk to you about it because I've read this and I know this and knowing what you like and knowing what this classic has in it, I could sell that to you. And so that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, I don't just get a book. I have an adult um, subscription box that I do. So I send them, the only thing they know is they're going to get an inclusive book. They don't know anything else about it. But when I send them a book, I also send them a note from a character in the book. I send them something that pertains to something in the book and just kind of make it an experience. I think that's what we have to do right now. And people have less money right now and they will have even less money coming up. So that's one of the reasons I've been working hard with getting universities to let me supply books for them, even though they have their own bookstores, um, Mm. because I'm here to save them time, right? They just tell me some things and they trust me enough to go and get the right thing for them. So, you know, that's kind of it. I'm not married to any one thing. Yeah. And so with all these, with all this work that you're doing with schools and people that don't require you to have a location you still have and you were saying that you didn't intend to have (laughs) the location like ongoing but you do now and on jefferson avenue there like um for people who aren't aware it's like near howard park there on on uh, jefferson and so why what what's the what what have what's been the value of having the space there that's a good question because I was actually going to close this location in January, um, mm. right before COVID hit. Actually, before it came here and people were talking about it, I'd already had a meeting with Becky. Um, I work for the Small Business Development Center, so I'd had a meeting with my business advisor over there, and we were looking at the numbers. And like I said, most of my business is from online. 
Um, but people like a visual. Some people do. And they some actually librarians. When I do meetings with librarians, I do it here in the store and then I show them the books, you know, and they see the shelves, uh, especially mm. the ones I don't know who I'm just getting introduced to. Like I just did one with South Bend Schools. Big score for me, FYI. Because uh, this whole virtual yeah. thing, I'm all for this and I'm going to make that work for, for schools. But just kind of, it's a touch point for people. It's for the people who need somewhere to go. I'm a safe space and like college kids come here a lot and just sit around because they know I'm a safe space and they could talk about whatever. I have parents who would send their kids like they couldn't pick them up right after school. Um, seventh and eighth graders would come down here and sit around. I have a high school kid who comes in and straightens up. As you saw, Jacob, it needs that. She'll be here Saturday. Uh, <laughs> but just kind of some people need to come talk to me like in a spot. It's almost like a bartender or something. People... Some people just need to come talk to me. So this is as good a place as any. Um, I've talked a lot with um, <clears throat> Aaron down at Howard Park. And I talked to John over at Barnaby's because I wanted to do an event. This is, of course, pre-COVID. But mm -hmm. we wanted to do a book club for kids over there and do something where you're walking around. Like maybe we do audiobooks and we walk mm -hmm. around the court and we stop every 15 minutes because we're in the same spot and we chat about it right then and then we move. Um, kind of mm. moving and have books involved with it. So just kind of, it's just a good touch point for people. Some people are very old fashioned and they don't know what they want until they come and talk to me. Mm. And this gives them the space to come and find me. Yeah. And did you use like pre-COVID, did you use the space for like gatherings and events? Yes. Often? Oh yeah. So yeah. <sighs> September of last year, and it would have been, we were going to do it this time too. But September of last year, I brought an author to town and we had about 600 mm. kids. We met at St. We had it at St. Mary's. It was almost every school here in town. I had 13 different schools, which is pretty awesome. Private schools, wow. public schools. Uh, it was great. It was, it was great. And so I've had events here with authors that kids come to. I mostly market everything to kids because that's my specialty. And so that's who I do my events for, except I did do Mayor Pete. Uh, and I have Chastin next week, mm. uh, and that'll be Chastin will be my first virtual event. Um, I've uh, resisted going virtual into the space because I don't like the way they are doing events online. They're just recreating something that we had in our in our bookstores. But in your bookstores, mm. a more intimate encounter than it is through cyberspace. So I feel like it needs to be something different, something more dynamic. Yeah. But the Buddha judges have been really good to me. And so I'm doing this event with Chastin. <laughs> yeah. But I do have, I yeah, have three I'm, more this month too that I'm doing. And so hopefully when I do my first ones in October, it, you'll see a difference in how these things are being done. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm curious about, you were saying, talking about Mayor Pete and then Chastin now. It seems like you've become quite popular among this, um, like Pete Twitter uh, world of people. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an interesting it? world. Uh, it's an interesting world. But it, it's, um, did you notice a difference in like some of the geographic uh, interest in in the shop, like during um, as the campaign grew last year? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, this just makes me laugh when I think about. 
um, <laughs> book and everything. So we found out in July before Pete's book came out that he had written a book. Uh, oh, so last summer and this summer too, I've had kids work in the, in the store with me for whatever reason. And this kid was at a, he went to school with my daughter. He's out of college. His parents did want him at home. So he spent a lot of time here in the store. He's gay. And he saw that Pete read a book, wrote a book and they were really into Pete. And so I wrote a, <laughs> sorry, it's really audacious. I wrote this letter to Pete's office and said, if he did not do an event with me, he was not really saying, he was not following what he said he believed in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I opened it. it open for a couple of months too because I opened in July and I opened it up on July 8th and this was like August it was like two months I wasn't even in business they, I'm Amazing. just like no I'm doing this event with Pete because this is going to really make a difference for me uh, so I hounded yeah. them uh, I hounded his publicist until they agreed because you know how could they not right he was doing this big event at Century Center and they didn't get their books from me and so I talked to them about that so they let me come and sell books there and I pretty much sold out uh, I since I had worked at the library I partnered with the library for the bigger events and so I partnered with them for this PD event and I made some special little things where if you pre-ordered this books from me uh, you get to have Pete and Chastin in the room by yourself with just like 50 people. That's it. I sold a ton of books. I sold a ton of books. So really we're like benefiting each other. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. he sold like, I can't even tell you how many books I sold through the store. And so there was a girl on Etsy. She had this weird Pete head pin and I got those. I know those. the exact one you're talking about. <laughs> Just I went with it and people would come to town um, to figure out where Mayor Pete lived and they would stop here like it was a tour stop. So I displayed all the different <laughs> Pete things in the store from all these places. I mean, I was I wrote it. I mean, I'm just going to tell you it was it was quite beneficial to both of us. Um, and so that's how I got started. And the person who is actually doing my Twitter right now, because I have been too busy, did the Twitter for part of that campaign too, unofficially. And so mm. you guys know who this person is too. Uh, so that's why the vibe is still that, but they, everybody thought that Pete and I were really good friends. And so yeah. when yeah. Chastin announced that he had a book, people called me to ask me, was I be, was I going to do anything <laughs> with Chastin? This is like before anything, but so I'm like, okay, then I guess, I'm going to be doing a bit with Chastin. I've, I've got demand. Let's do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're like. So I tweeted to Chastin. I'm like, hey, are we doing an event? And he said, yes, do this, do this. And I didn't do any of the things he said because I had the upper hand on this one. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I've got the audience. You know, he's got an audience, but he can't go anywhere. So how's he going to do this? So he, we finally had an agreement. And so we we're doing this event. I'm the smallest bookstore on his little stop. So I'm excited about that. But they have been so supportive. And then Pete has a book coming out next month. He made a video and he mentioned the store in the video. Mm -hmm. And that was insane because people did start coming out of the woodwork and calling me, uh, which is why I don't answer my phone anymore. Uh, which is, yeah. <laughs> you call the store, it's a recording. I will never answer that phone again. Uh, but it's just like, they they really think that the three of us hang out and do stuff. Oh, yeah. And since For I'm sure. a really good yeah. actress, I will allow them to think that. <laughs> okay with it. Right. Right. That's amazing. Wow. I'm curious, Kathy, uh, 
how you mentioned like the the events and virtual events and like how have you been thinking about those kind of things and how like your space changes as COVID continues to like throw different wrenches into both obviously just your like customers who might be buying for home, but then obviously schools are like all up in the air and how they're operating in in person and virtual. And just curious, like how you're, because you are like so nimble and innovative, like how you're thinking about that as, as time goes on here. So when schools first had to close back in March, I love writing curriculum, by the way. That's just something I like to do. I don't like teaching, but I do like writing curriculum for them. Uh, the first thing I thought about was what do what will parents need? What will schools need? And I have a notebook full of stuff that I thought they would need. And so created some workshops and things like that of how to make this virtual personal, uh, because it's not. And to make sure that parents knew the difference between e-learning and virtual school. And to remind people that virtual school has been around for a long time. This is actually nothing new. Uh, it's just new probably on this wide of a scale here. And so just what could I do? I actually wrote a letter to the mayor this time, but he did not get back to me yet. But just so you know, it's out there. Um, <laughs> for a something that could uh, bring us together. So my pitch to the South Bend schools for this, as to the librarians was, well, kids can't come to the library how do you then bring the library to the kids beyond just letting them come pick up some books? How do we keep this mm-hmm. connection with them? How do we still have our classes with them? And so there's this book called Intersectionalities that can work for K-5, to and it's a way to get kids talking about what's happening, about themselves, about their families. Um, and to me, that's a way in right now. Everybody's super anxious about everything. We just don't know what's happening. We don't know... We just don't know. And so I feel like our biggest thing we could do right now is to help people feel connected. And books is a good way to do that. So I deliver books to people. I did 100 families this summer that I delivered books to. So that's my service I also offer to schools. Um, If you can't get out there, I will drive around and drop these books off for you. No worries. When I do, I think I did uh, the middle school at Stanley Clark. I sent the books directly to them from the warehouse. They didn't have to come here. So that's one thing I talked to people about mm-hmm. too, is there's less touches on the book if it goes straight to you. And so, you know, that gives a image, uh, sorry, <clears throat> a veneer of safety to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But technology should be involved. I have always, 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 always thought that schools use technology incorrectly. They use it for Mm. mindless games or to type papers. That is crazy. We Mm. have access to experts. So being the person who has gone to nerd camp for seven years and Mm. I have access to all these authors, I have been setting up virtual author events because it is now affordable for some schools Mm -hmm. to do author events when they couldn't bring somebody here before for $2,000, they can buy some books. And if they partner with somebody and buy books, then it's cheaper for them with the books. And so just kind of offering different services to make use of what they already have. And just hoping, I just talked to a guy who's, um, he does outdoor learning. So I'm going to try to connect him with some schools that have really good science teachers that I like. Because I mm. think not just being outside, doing the same thing you would do inside, 
but let's take advantage of this nature and how we could learn from it. What can we actually do out here to learn about our environment? And how do we then help kids become environmental activists? So just kind of thinking about stuff like that, like just meeting them where they are and then using that to take them to the next level. And I will do appointments probably starting in October here for the store. So we create bundles. I did that this summer too. Creating mm. bundles, and we're already thinking about that and putting some stuff together so that if you have a person who's this, this, and this, here's a bundle of books and gifts and other stuff that you could just come pick up and take with you, or I will send it to them for you. I do gift wrapping. We'll have that. Um, just things that I prefer to do because I don't like talking to people in person. <laughs> it's excellent for me. I mean, this time has been excellent for me. Something that stands out to me, Kathy, listening to you speak about some of these different things is like, this isn't a fully formed thought, but like, I feel like especially right now, there's there's a lot of conversations going on about a lot of topics that are happening in the world. Um, and there seems to be like sometimes a, like almost a tendency to like protect children from all those conversations or, and it seems like something that you're really pushing on with the books is like just thinking about like some of the topics you've been talking about exposing kids to like environmental activism, anxiety, uh, race, justice, um, you know, all of these other things that are going on. And like, it, it just like, I don't really know if I have a question at the end of this, but it's like so interesting just to me, just to like how far like your, you mentioned like treating children like adults you know, when they come in the store and things like that, but like even in the way that you're putting conversations out there and having children discuss these like really difficult issues that as adults, we usually do a really poor job discussing ourselves. Um, But it it just stands out to me like these like really big in-depth issues and how you're able to get kids involved. The state of the world we have is because we don't do these things, right? There are certain Mm -hmm. topics they tell us never to talk about, but if we never talk about them, then we can't get past it. And so those are the things that I want people to start talking about. And so I make it a point to try to find books that we can read to kids. And sometimes a book really isn't for the kid who's listening. It's for the adult who's reading it to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that they can get this idea on a certain level, because, you know, anti-racist thought is very difficult for some people. They just, I had a lady come and tell me that racism didn't exist. And she was like, well, I just don't see color. I'm like, well, you saying that is saying that color makes a difference and that my color is bad because you choose Mm. to not see it. It's like, it's not something I could take off and there's not Mm. anything wrong with it. It's okay to be black, right? It's like, I'm okay. Um, But just if we started younger, if we had these conversations, there's a great picture book for kids called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. Um, if we just started there, if we really listen to kids, listen to the questions that they are asking, we could find a way to talk to them that they would understand these things as much as we want them to understand. Um, I always talk about to parents about that too. When you're asking, when you want a kid to read a book and you're asking me, should my kid read this book? I ask them, what are you comfortable discussing with them? Because mm-hmm. that's what you want to have in the book. If that's in the book, then it's okay. If it's something else and you're not ready to have that conversation, don't let them read the book then. Tell them you're not ready to talk about it, which kids will then respect that. I think we don't respect any of our young people, really. I mean, if we talk mm. to college kids, we'd be a lot further in some ways than we are now. It's just, we just don't, school is, 
the same way it's been for whatever, 150 years. Hasn't changed. We're still doing lectures. People still just look up stuff on the internet because teachers are still teaching the same stuff and the answers are already out there. We're not creating critical thinkers. Um, and that's what I want to do. I want to create thinkers, not just of the kids though, also the teachers. I think that's, I don't know, education's everything for me. It's it's the thing that got me to where I'm at. Uh, my daughter's going to law school this fall because of education and she's going to Harvard and she's doing great because we didn't stop at what she learned in the classroom. We always went beyond that. Like, so now you know this, now what? How do you make sure mm. this doesn't happen again? How do you change what you're doing to make sure this other thing does happen? Like, how does this affect me or you personally? And what are you going to do about it? That's to me how everything should be taught. Mm. Jake and I have been it's, having a conversation lately. There's uh, a quote we heard on a podcast at some point earlier this summer that was talking about, was it Jake something about like, deep reading or something but that's not as important as like the the point was like saying the purpose of reading a book is not like extracting the information out of it but like letting it interact with your experience thus far and like seeing what happens when like what comes of that interaction and where where it takes Mm -hmm. you forward and i'm like i'm hearing a lot of like it's reminding me of that as you talk about like okay we've read it we've thought about it like what what happens next? Like, how does it move forward? It's interesting. When you discuss things, sometimes it changes your mind too, right? We don't live in a vacuum. Um, when we're talking to other think people about things, things that we think are one thing, and then we're like, oh, I never thought about it from that perspective. That helps both of us, right? It's like, I don't know, just books, education, conversation. It's what we need. It's striking to me to think about the way that having somebody like you doing the work you're doing in South Bend and having a place like Brain Lair, as you work with more and more, like a more and more schools locally um, and libraries, and uh, it's striking to me how that could change some of the trajectory of the the way that like we as a city handle different issues as those kids get older and in a way like shifting the time frame that they're when they're kind of start to think about these things that like for a lot of kids i think like they don't you know if you're like average white kid in the midwest you might not be confronted with um much of any conversation around race um until you are you know high school, college. Like, I think there's a lot of kids in cities like South Bend and that's their experience. But it's interesting thinking about as you work with a larger percentage of the schools here, the effect that that might have down the line. I'm curious if you've like, if you think about that at all or like, um, it's my whole, how that it's my whole thing. Yeah. Um, if you ever watch a kindergarten classroom, the kindergarten classroom is where girls' voices are silenced. So they're five mm. years old, right? Because what they do is they tell the boys, look at that girl being quiet. Look at that girl standing still. Look at that girl doing this. And they're all behaviors that are passive. And so girls start to internalize, oh, I should not speak out. 
I should not be running around. I should not be doing this. That's also when they separate people by gender. And so that's also when kids start getting confused because they may not feel like what they look like. But we have a boy bathroom and girl bathroom. We have a boy line and a girl mm -hmm. line. We have girl toys and boy toys. We have girl books and boy books. So it's like smashing all of those things is what I like to do. That's what I did as a librarian. Um, <laughs> not everybody agrees with it, of course, because some people do think kids are too young to learn these things. And some people just don't want to know that. They just don't want to know because they're happy and they're doing their thing. And if they acknowledge it, then they have to make some changes, right? It's like, like they say, if you know better, you do better. So once you know it and you continue going the same way you are, then you are making a choice to not make the world a better place. And so that's kind of how I look at it. I will talk to as many people about this as possible. But the reason I chose a children's bookstore is because I think schools need to change. And I think if we could change what's happening in schools, if we could change what they're reading, if we could change the way they're teaching, if we could make it more interactive for kids, uh, we could we could we could see a shift. Hmm. I will get there once. Are there I mean, I'm going to do it. Are there kindred bookstores in like this part of the country, uh, like similar to you doing like similar work in the city where they're at? I ask because I, this, the Oprah magazine list that came out recently, the, the 125 black owned bookstores in America. Too, by the way, as they keep figuring out there's more. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now and it says 125 and it definitely said 124 earlier yeah, today. So and, yeah. Yeah. And a, a friend of mine was over a couple nights ago after this list came out and he was like, can you believe that there's not more? And I was like, I don't, I don't actually know. Like I don't, I don't have very good context for this. And so I'm curious, like it, it feels like, uh, you are rather, um, unique in your place in this part of the country, but the is that true? The that I have is I don't just focus on books that feature Black people. Um, mm. A lot of the bookstores that you see on that list, I specialize in books for the African diaspora or things like that. I do um, BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, people of color. I also do disabilities. I also do LGBTQ. And I also look for intersections because none of us are just one thing. Um, mm. that's kind of the difference that I have is that I'm not just, I'm not just one thing. And so to me, I have a broader perspective. So I think there's a girl in Kokomo. She does beyond barcodes. Uh, I did go see her when I was opening to talk to her about what she was doing because she does languages. Mm. And so I think that's pretty cool too. Um, I didn't know anything about that other bookstore they listed in Indiana. That was not on any list. A lot of times uh, you make Ak the list. Akama books. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of times you make the list because you're a member of American Booksellers Association. So I'm a member. Mm. Um, so the very first list that's gone out, I was the only bookstore that was listed in Indiana because I'm a member, but also because I'm involved in everything. Uh, I'm on the, tomorrow I have a nominating committee meeting. I am involved in everything, every aspect of book selling because I want to know. I love knowing stuff. Um, and I know that you can only affect change from the inside. You can't do it from the outside. Uh, so that's also a thing. People know who I am because, and I also stand up for the underdog. So if I mean, we're in the meeting and somebody, I feel like somebody's saying something to somebody and not listening, then I stand up for that person. So kind of, 
I don't know. I think that's a big thing. I do know a book, like I said, book bug, even though it's not black owned, Joanna is doing a fantastic job up there. And she brings a lot of different types of authors um, to town. I've gone up there many of time myself to see um, authors. She's doing really great work. Uh, in Georgia, there's Abbott books. She's great. And then used to be Anderson's in Naperville was pretty good too. That used to be my go-to bookstore. Um, but, and she was actually really more active. I go for the ones who are politically active. I think mm. that whatever you do, you're making a stand, right? Whether you choose to speak about something or not speak about something, you're taking a side. So to say that books are not politico, that's just being disingenuous. It, it is politico. Um, yeah. Even if I carry everything on both sides, so to speak, that's a political statement that I'm making. Uh, is hmm. that I just want to make some money, so I'm gonna have everything. So my statement is no, I don't have that book. I'm sorry, but I know where you can get the book if you need that book. It's just not gonna come from me. But if you think you need it, actually, <laughs> I don't know that earlier this. I think it was in March that fake doctor wrote a book. It was called Contagion or Plague or something like that. And somebody did try to mm. hear that book for me. And I wrote her notes. <laughs> I won't get that book for you because I think we should, I believe in science. And so <laughs> I didn't believe in that book. And they didn't really like go and do anything bad or like say, this is a terrible bookstore. So that's okay. I only had that once. I did have one guy who say he would never come back to the store. Um, and I said, thanks. <laughs> yeah. and that was it. <laughs> Do you ever have do you ever have any problems being so active online and particularly like with I mean, you were very visible um, at a number of times due to the campaign. Like, do you ever have problems with like trolls or like uh, people on the Internet coming at you? No, I haven't yet. Um, I've had people. So my Twitter, because of the person who's doing the Twitter, looks a little bit different, even though our tone of voice is similar. Um, which is why I asked her to do it for me because we have a similar sense of humor. Uh, and so I've had yeah. a group contact me and said that it was not black enough, that I was more just selling books than anything else. And actually, if you go on there, we're not even selling books on there. I sell my books on Instagram though, really doing well. There. Mm. Uh, but I just, I haven't yet. I haven't had anybody say anything yet. The only, like I said, a guy came here with his wife and his kids and he had said this was on his wife's bucket list to come to the store. So I'm thinking, you know, like my, oh, people, wow. they're coming to the store on a bucket list. She obviously knows what I do. And he talks, starts talking about how much he likes pens. And um, it's like, do you really want to have this conversation? Because it's not going to be what you think it is. And he was like, well, you know, I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for Pence. And I'm like, you know, that's not a thing, right? You have to have both. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just vote for one or the other. And so, and I think I had Pete's book on the shelf right there and it was face out because I have a really big poster of Pete's book cover too. Like it's huge. Mm, and I had that out yeah. and I'm just like, so you obviously know, but we had this big <laughs> Pete head over there. And I'm like, you, I, you see what we stand for. I said, I will have this conversation with you if you want to have this conversation, but I'm going to bring you statistics. We're not just going to have opinions. And he wanted to have the conversation. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> and then later that night, because he had, they bought books too. So that was also funny. Um, later that night, yeah. I got an email from him asking me if I always berate old white men who come to his store, to my store. And I'm like, no, because they come to the store knowing what I stand for. I actually didn't say that. I said, I'm sorry, you felt like I was berating you. 
And then he took a different stance because he thought I was apologizing. And so that worked out well. Haven't heard wow. since. That was it. I really wow. have. Oh, and when I first opened, somebody did say um, that I was being racist by only carrying certain types of books. But somebody yeah. else who read it, who was a customer, who was white, said, no, if those books were readily available, we wouldn't have to have this. And so that worked mm. out, too. Mm. Mm. It's going to happen, though. I'm, I mean, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm curious about the spot where the store is at. You talked a little bit about earlier, pre-COVID, talking with like Parks and Barnaby's about doing some like events together what has what has it been like having the shop there on the avenue it's like one of the i'm um, more active little like strips in the city do you get people who like to walk in not really that active it's Mm. you come over if you come to the store you come in intentionally mostly i don't get a lot of just people who are strolling around um who come mm. to the store uh you either coming over here to go to alley's are you coming over here to go to parties, yeah. or you're coming to the book the um, park? When the park first opened, they didn't have their parking area over there, and so people were parking in Barnaby's, and so people did come mm. to them because they saw it across the street. But once they moved their parking down by them, then people didn't come down this way. It got so bad, mm. I want to say that the guy who owns the General was putting out some kind of map and they were doing a campaign to get people to come back over here and do stuff over here. Um, it's, it's not the best location to me it's a good location because I'm in the middle of a lot of different schools and different types of schools. And so mm. I like that. Um, it's close enough to downtown and i my friend owns the chicory. So if I need to go to first Fridays, I will put a table outside his shop. And so it, I'm okay with that. I did look at moving um, next to the pigeon and the hen because they are also friends of mine and our businesses could go well mm. together. And when it's downtown South Bend, whatever they do those first Fridays, that's where people go. They rarely, if ever, come over here because um, they yeah. go far away, even though it's walking distance. So it's not the best right. trip. It's it's really, it's really not. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's interesting to hear that. Yeah. It, I can totally see how right? that's, how that's true, though. And when you're going to Barnaby's, you're going to Barnaby's. You are focused on getting in and out. So I... Yeah. Well, when you walk out, I mean, you're kind of a little too blinded right? to, by, by, to see the bookstore across the street. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't know I'm here, which... So that's been... That was one thing I didn't do well and probably still don't do well is marketing where I'm at. Hmm. I'm curious, Kathy, you talk about like when kind of your journey through a bunch of like different types of jobs and stuff... Are you like outside of the store and books, which now that I'm asking this question, I can't imagine you have time for a lot of other things. But if you do, I'm curious, like, are you like, what are the other things you enjoy doing or, or new things that you may be trying um, outside of kind of the, the store and the brain layer? So can I just be honest and tell you, I hate working in the store. Um, yes, please. I don't like working here. I would never, I actually had some volunteers. I had a cadre of volunteers, thank goodness, who would come and work in the store for me because I hate it so much. Um, I don't like sitting behind the desk waiting for people to come to me. I like to be out there going with people. So it also means I could talk to kids more if I'm not behind the desk. So I didn't like doing that. I have done so many events this year with people asking me to be on panels to talk about different things. Um, so that's basically what I've been spending my time doing is 
just speaking to different groups around the country, talking about whatever it is they want to talk about and just kind of getting my name out there and talking about anti-racist ideas and how we can try to remove emotion from some of the things we talk about, how to get started having these conversations. Uh, and I watch a lot of television. Um, I love personal interest. I'm probably on my fourth go through with that one. So it's about mm-hmm. set up. Cora, uh, Legend of Cora. So also watching that on Netflix. I watched a lot of very old black television when they brought it out of the vault. Did that. I watched a lot of Disney because I like the Marvel movies. Mm. I, I watched a lot of television. It's usually when I'm working because we, since we are doing a lot online, um, and I actually had to hire some people, by the way, too. That was also crazy. Uh, when we're working online, I'll have the window open that I'm doing the orders in, but I'll have uh, Netflix on a different screen. And so we just, uh, I do that a lot. Probably too much. <laughs> was that this summer that you hired people? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, in June, like June 1st, I got – so in the, the way I do or working with schools, it doesn't go through my online ordering system. This is something we do separate. Um, and I, mm. it involves invoicing and all of this kind of stuff. So it's not part of that. So my online shop that I pay $175 to have – was getting maybe 20 orders a month, no big deal. Then at the end of March, Amazon stopped selling most books and they started doing PPE. And a lot of people discovered that we had a store in town and started ordering. And my ordering went up from Mm. averaging one a day to 10 a day. Still not a big deal because I could do 10 orders easy in my sleep. And the difference between an independent bookstore doing an online order and an Amazon is that I have to look at every single order and decide where I'm going to get each of those books from and how long it's going to take mm. and how do I get it to you, right? So that was crazy. And then in May, it started picking up because I made this list. The, my list was called This List is Anti-Racist because it's based on a book called This Book is Anti-Racist. And my kid went yeah. home this summer and she put it on social media. I had made it for a teacher. A teacher asked me to give her some ideas. So I made this list and I gave it to them. And she put it on my Instagram and it went crazy, like Blake Lively crazy. It was literally everywhere. Um, mm. it'll, it means I don't even have to be open for two more years. That's how much, that's how crazy it was. And I only get 30% oh of that. So just imagine that the company who hosted, they really did well. But so that, they those um, orders went up from 30 a month to 300, right? I had 300 in, in May. June Ooh. 1st, I do not know what happened, but I had 300 orders June 1st. Whoa. And then it happened again June 2nd. And then it kept happening. And <laughs> in the space of six days, oh I had 2,600 orders. And I had to turn the ordering system off. Because wow. I'm like, there's no way in hell I could do this. I can't do this. And I was just like, I was totally freaking out. I'm talking to my oh daughter, my, ex, my ex-husband. I'm showing them the screen. I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I hired four contractors. They're all people I know. Um, people who come to the store, except for one girl, her mom comes to the store. She just graduated from college, doesn't have a job. And so she lives in Bloomington. Uh, she's the only one that didn't like, you know, actively was in the store. But I hired the four of them, two to help me online, and two to help me 
get the books out the door here. Mm -hmm. And then just still making those decisions of which books will I buy in the store and ship out and how much will that cost for shipping and which ones will I send directly to the warehouse and send to people's house directly, which also is a whole nother kind of thing. Um, So June 10th, I think I hired them June 10th and three of them are still independent contractors who work with me on big projects. So we just had a 275 book order to get out 275 different people. So that was fun. And then now we have passes to get out too. Um, So they come in and do that. But the girl online, I hired part-time. And so she works uh, five hours a day doing orders and we still have a lot. So we just finished June orders <laughs> two <Wow>. days ago. <laughs> wow. It has been, a, it's been crazy. I've had to come up with different facts. Um, um, just why this was taking so long and what was happening. I had 250 <laughs> people canceled their orders, which didn't matter. Cause I still had like 2000. I mean, right. it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. And it just went crazy again. Um, so, Oh, also Chastity announced his book in May. So I got a lot of people mm. the book the day he announced it. <clears throat> but I knew I was going to order that in because, you know, it's Justin. He's here. But it was right. it's just been it's been wild. It, it's been a ride, let me just tell you. Um but so she still works for me. We actually she's in town now. We're having a staff meeting so everybody can meet each other on Saturday um and talk about what my vision is for going forward because that was that was crazy. I didn't know anything about having an employee or mm. all the paperwork you had to do yeah. and all of that. So I have a payroll company um, that does that for me, thankfully. Um, also, so I use online bench is my bookkeeping place because mm-hmm. I don't like mm-hmm. to do what everybody else is doing. So no QuickBooks for me. Uh, mm. So they also work with Gusto is my payroll place. So yeah, I, big I love fancy FinTech. FinTech's my favorite thing. So I'm out there looking at those companies to help me do my job better. Wow, this that is the whole thing is just a uh, wow. I like Dustin and I have had people over time like work off and on with us on like the podcast or other projects. And I remember one of the first times we had somebody working with us, Dustin and I just like a couple weeks in, being like, I am so afraid to ever hire anyone. <laughs> this is so hard. Yes. Like, how do we? Uh, and I can't imagine like you and you don't know what to tell them because you haven't read, yeah. right? And so you don't know that they should know certain things. You're just thinking they should know that because that's the way you do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I can't imagine like in the midst of right, you're needing to bring these people on just because you have all these orders and like there isn't time to sit around and get to know each other and <laughs> but you know there's we use wow. home base for our messages and for our timesheets and all of that um and so i also created a bunch of uh, screen videos screencasting that they have access mm. to so i would take different topics and just sit there and do it and talk about it and then put it in a central place so they could always go back and look at that um, but it was hard. It was hard to give people access to the ordering system because it's very old and I was afraid they would mess stuff up and they have messed stuff up. But, you know, we learn from it. Uh, I have certain authors in my head whose books I always order um, no matter what, because I want to support these people. Uh, and so 
I forgot to tell this person that. And so she was sending these books somewhere else. I'm like, no, we have to have these orders. Like, these are my people. I have like six or seven teachers who live everywhere, Maine, everywhere else, who always order their stuff for me. Uh, and they also then, I take care of that personally. But just learning learning how to let go, mm. learning how to clear yeah. space, man, having was, was the <laughs> Yeah. Was having an employee or multiple employees, something that you intended to do at some point or like a yeah, goal of yours? Yeah. So pre-COVID, I was in Hustle SBE. Um, and that's mm. what I ended with. And Hustle was I had to hire some people to get these things done to run the store for one thing. If I was going to stay open, I had to have a manager run the store. But they also needed, if I was going to build up my online presence, I was going to have to have somebody work with me um, on that. And I actually have a girl building a website for me right now too. <clears throat> Excuse me. As, which I had to, just all of that. But yeah, I had intended to grow slowly. I had already, if you know Nicola Brown, Dustin, I know you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. had been telling me pretty much since maybe when I did Mayor Pete's event that I needed to get some people in, that I needed to get some people in. And I resisted, I resisted because this store is so personal to me, but I yeah. didn't think somebody could do it like I was doing it. And then I realized, well, they don't have to, I'm still buying the books. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's, it was hard coming to terms with that. And then to do it in the middle of a pandemic and with all of the years was super difficult. And so that's why I went with people I know because they had worked here with me before um, and knew what my mission was and what that meant. So there we go. But it was, it was tough. It still is tough. Wow. Wow. How, how are you feeling about things kind of moving forward, Kathy? What'd you say? I'm sorry. I said, how are you feeling about things kind of moving forward? Like you're sitting here, you know, now, now it's, we were talking earlier. It's crazy. It's like September already. Um, like as you think about the, the store and the company overall going forward, like, and kind of catching some of these waves you're like, you're, you're taking and building for yourself. Like where, what are you excited about kind of moving forward? So one of the ways we're redoing the website is so I used to make these lists for people. They would say, you know, I have a girl who's 10 years old or I have a boy this, can you give me a list of books? And, and teachers would say, I'm teaching social studies. Here's our topics. Here's what kids we have. Can you give me a list of books? And I'm going to have that be more present on the site where you can go in and get that. But I also did this whole story brand marketing for myself and looked at that and thought about what is it I want people to get out of the website in the store. And so revamping it so that when you come there, I know that people are coming there because they want more help being anti-racist. So how do I make it easy for them to find those books or to reach people that they can talk to about this? So that's kind of what I'm going to do is like really build up the online site. We're working on a couple of classes that people can take. I'd already been working on um, the South Bend thing with, they had that, uh, what do they call that? The whatever zone they have that they did not do well. Um, so they have that zone of schools and I know the principal Nate, cause they uh. worked also in Penn. Uh, and then a couple of people on the board who also, who did their campaigns here at the store. So my goal, I had created three lists for them, one for K-5, one for their intermediate schools, and one for their high schools. And so now I want to go in and help them use these books in the classroom because I think 
You can't just give teachers books for one, teachers are busy. And then how do we do this? But also we have this whole virtual aspect, which will never go away, right? We will never mm -hmm. go fully in person again. It's just not going to happen. And I want people to think about what could they be doing differently and how can I help them do this thing differently? But also putting the thought in their head there, yes, there can be something different and we can take advantage of this time. So I'm starting with the elementary school librarians at, Stan at um, South Bend Community School Corporations. I have all of them and we're going to work through this whole thing of what this could look like virtually and how do we maintain it going forward and how do we make a connections with people um, even though we're not together. So that's kind of what I'll be doing is looking more at how to get these ideas that I wrote down about meeting parents where they are. Cause you know, mm -hmm. you're not going on vacation like you would go on vacation. So how do you bring this vacation virtually? How do you monitor the time that kids are spending on this computer? And how do you honor what teachers think they need and what you know your kid needs? How do you do that? So just kind of helping people navigate this whole virtual world that mm -hmm. we're in, but also with books. Yeah. I'm curious, how do people react when they hear that you're doing this sort of work in South Bend? You were saying that you're spending a, <laughs> That's so you're spending a, yeah, you're spending a fair amount of time right now, like talking to audiences outside of South Bend, like, <laughs> Virtually, and say that I What's live in a place that's not full of idiots. That whatever else they know about Indiana, South Bend is a much better place. <laughs> mm. I'm not even kidding you. That's that's almost the words I use too. But I say that I'm in an area that's more accepting, that's more open to learning, and so it works for me here. I do say, you know, if you go too far south, you you will see some Confederate flags and things like that. Um, if you go over to Granger, which I used to live, you'll see some of that over there too. Uh, but mm. When I choose books, that's another thing, I guess. I don't look at books that other Midwestern booksellers look at. I look at lists that people in California are doing and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I try to differentiate myself. I think we like people here know I'm here now, right? And they kind of know what I stand for. They're being more open to it. For one thing, you don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm offering them an opportunity to escape from where they're at. And if it means they have to get this certain book, then they will take this certain book because they really need to get out of their heads and get off, get off their Zoom. Um, so it, it's been funny because people know what Indiana stands for. And I just say where we're at, it's, it's a lot better where we are. But that was one thing that mm. opened in the store. My daughter said, you know, if you open this door, it means that you're going to live here. <laughs> stay here, right? About maybe going back to Chicago or something like that when she graduated from high school. Uh, and then I was like, you know, I said, I like it. I like it here. I think this is where you'll see the change. It's places mm. like this. We have such an opportunity to turn things around um, and to hopefully not go backwards. Uh, and I would like to be a part of that and you talked about this space being a strip that's building up. And I hope it does get to that. We need more uh, stores on this side of town. We also need something other than restaurants. That's like my biggest thing with downtown. Mm -hmm. It's just mm. restaurants. Nobody can just go to that many restaurants. You need something <laughs> else to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So I just, I think we can grow here. I think there's enough acceptance 
that we could take that acceptance to tolerance, that we could take that tolerance to inclusion. I love it. The other thing that's cool, Kathy, I think is like you're you're kind of doing it both ways, right? Like you're doing it in a very local, like very dense way with how you're working with schools and, and like your clientele here locally. But like you were saying, you also work with people all over the country um, through through your online store and then through what you're doing with schools and other places too. So it's it's cool because like, yeah, you're a quote unquote like local bookstore, but you're very much a national bookstore in a lot of ways as well, which is like, I don't know, it's a, a very cool way to to exist in a place like South Bend, I think. Well, the funny thing is I was national before I was local. Um, I was the brain layer before the store opened. That was my lame online because I was the librarian mm. from Twitter. 2007, um, it was a book I read that talked about anagrams. I'm like, oh, what's an anagram for librarian? And it came up the brain layer. <laughs> People always knew me elsewhere and not here. I was always doing stuff not here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was a struggle to be here and do it here and do it local. The things that I tell people to do all the time, I was not doing myself uh, because I say you read globally, but you connect locally. Uh, and mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that. I was actually working more with people not in town. And so when this opportunity came to get this to get this place, even though it's only supposed to be three months, I'm like, you know what? I need to start getting out there. And I just started talking to as many heads of schools and principals and other people that I could. I walked all the way up and down uh, to all the stores downtown and walked in and introduced myself and talked to people and just kind of put myself out there. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. I, I agree strongly with your assessment that we need more than restaurants opening up. Uh, it just strikes me when I, I spend a lot of my time learning about the history of South Bend. And that's something that I come back to often is that, and it wasn't just downtown in many neighborhoods, we had many different kinds of spaces for people to spend time in and uh, see each other or learn things, uh, buy things. And um, we've lost a lot of that. And hearing you, like, I mean, having your shop there on Jefferson and hearing you, like, go around and meet all the other, like, shop owners, restaurant owners in the area, that's very much a kind of way of being in a city that I think is um, far too uncommon nowadays. Yeah. How do we get that back? How do we bring that I mean, we're, we're, we've attracted more people to town and different types of younger people to town. How do we keep them? Yeah. And I don't think it's by having a lot of restaurants. I think we really need to invest in some other types of places that people can go to. Well, not now, but eventually. <laughs> or they could go too socially distant. But we need to offer people something more than another place to eat. And if we want them to stay here and raise kids here, we need to offer something um, for that too. And we have the spaces over here. So hopefully, hopefully we'll do that. Some diversification in our stores. So we just need to mm-hmm. diversify everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that is a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much, Kathy. This has been fascinating. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I don't know how it was, but <laughs> I've learned a lot. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are familiar with 
your name or the shop's name uh, or like you hosting an event with P and don't really know the story behind it. And like I was saying, like it's something that I've always, uh, like since the store has been open, have wondered how, how does the brain layer exist? Uh, it is, yeah, it is fascinating to me to uh, learn about how it happened. Yeah, I think the the breadth of your experiences, but then also just like how hard you think about what you want to do and especially existing in the space of like business where that's not always something that like people want to let you prioritize. Like, you know, what do you want to do with your business? Right. Um, I think you're an unbelievable example of saying like, this is how I'm going to do it. It matters to me how I do it in a lot of different ways. And like, I will find a way for that to also exist as a business, mm-hmm. you know, for myself and hopefully for employees one day and like all those different things this is like a very hard thing to do. And I think you do it just, you're just like an outstanding example of doing it well. Thank you.